Hello, and welcome to Easy, Easy Big, Big Takes, Takes, the podcast, where we read you the one-star reviews of your favorite movies and more. My name's Kat. And I'm Riley. And this week, we decided to do, what was it, like, female gaze? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So these are movies that are written and or directed by women that we found on a list of <laughs> movies that were, were titled, it was a list of movies that are the female gaze. So I picked But I'm a Cheerleader, which came out in 1999, and I believe it premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival when it came out. It's considered a romance comedy. It's an hour and 24 minutes long and is rated R. So... If you haven't seen this movie, the plot is 17-year-old Megan Bloomfield is a happy high school senior who loves cheerleading and is dating Jared, a football player. However, she does not enjoy kissing Jared, instead preferring to look at her fellow cheerleaders. This, combined with her interest in vegetarianism (laughs) and Melissa Etheridge, (laughs) leads her parents, Peter and Nancy, and friends to suspect that she's a lesbian. Aided by ex-gay Mike, they surprise her with an intervention. She is then sent to True Directions, a two-month-long conversion therapy camp intended to convert attendees to heterosexuality via a five-step program in which they admit their homosexuality, rediscover their gender identity by performing stereotypically gender-associated tasks, find the root of their homosexuality, demystifying the opposite sex, and simulate heterosexual intercourse. Upon arrival... (laughs) So (laughs) creepy. It's so awful. It is. It is. Upon arrival, she meets strict disciplinarian Mary J. Brown, the program's director. Mary's son, Rock, is seen throughout the film to actually be overtly homosexual, making multiple sexual overtures towards Mike and the other male campers. During the program, Megan befriends college student Graham Eaton. Although more comfortable in her sexuality, she was forced to attend the camp or risk being disowned by her family after her stepmother caught her having sex with a girlfriend of hers in her room. She also meets several fellow adolescents and young adults trying to cure themselves of their homosexuality. The group's prompting forces her to reluctantly admit her lesbianism, which contradicts her traditional religious upbringing and distresses her, so she puts every effort into becoming heterosexual. Early on in her stay, she shockingly discovers retail workers Clayton Dunn making out with a fellow male camper and varsity wrestler named Dolph. After Mike catches them in the act, Dolph is dismissed from the premises and Clayton is punished with isolation, literally being sent to the doghouse for a week. Two of Mary's former students, ex-ex-gays, Larry and Lloyd Morgan Gordon, encourage the campers to rebel against her by taking them to a local gay bar called Cocksucker, where Graham and Megan's relationship becomes romantic. Upon discovering what they did, Mary forces all of them to picket the couple's house, carrying placards and shouting homophobic abuse. Megan and Graham sneak away one night to have sex and begin to fall in love. When Mary discovers their escapade, Megan, now unapologetically comfortable with her sexuality, is dismissed from the premises. Graham, afraid that her continued defiance will result in her father potentially disinheriting her permanently, stays behind. Disowned by her parents and homeless, Megan goes to stay with Larry and Lloyd, discovering that Dolph now also lives with them. The pair plan to rescue Graham and Clayton by infiltrating the graduation ceremony. While Dolph successfully coaxes Clayton away, Graham nervously declines Megan's invitation to join them. She then performs a cheer she composed for Graham, declaring her love for her, finally winning Graham over. They drive off with Dolph and Clayton. The final scene shows Peter and Nancy uncomfortably attending a PFLAG meeting to come to terms with their daughter's homosexuality. So (laughs) this movie was directed by Jamie Babbitt. Uh, She is the executive producer on Only Murders in the Building and Silicon Valley. And she also directed
directed three episodes of Russian Doll, which Natasha Leone starred in, and also a few episodes of Always Sunny and Brooklyn Nine-Nine, among other things. I love that. That's fantastic. So Jamie Babbitt wrote the story of this movie and reached out to Brian Wayne Peterson to write the screenplay for it. The production design was done by Rachel Cameron, and the costume design was done by Alex Friedberg. So the cast, Natasha Leone plays Megan. Clea Duvall plays Graham. I love Clea Duvall. She's a 90s icon. And then Kathy Moriarty plays Mary Brown. Something that came up with her a few times is that she won Best Supporting Actress for the Academy Award for Raging Bull. Austin said that last night as we were watching it. Mm -hmm. That's the fact that everybody loves to pull up about her, apparently. But she also was the mom in Kindergarten Cop. Oh my god. (laughs) Yeah. And then RuPaul Charles plays Mike. Mink Stoll plays Nancy Bloomfield. Bud Court plays Peter Bloomfield. Eddie Cibrian plays Rock Brown. Melanie Linsky plays Hillary. Wesley Mann plays Lloyd. And Dante Basco plays Dolph. And I don't know if you noticed this, but he voices Prince Zuko in Avatar The Last Airbender. Oh, that's cool. And it came up quite a bit in the letterbox reviews. They were like, oh my god, Prince Zuko gay confirmed. (laughs) That's fucking hilarious. I love that. Yeah. So I'll move on to the trivia that I have. So the budget for this movie was $1.2 million. And at the box office, it made $2.6 million. Hell yeah. This was Jamie Babbitt's directorial debut. And financing was received based on a short film loosely centered around the film's plot. She was aiming for a queer version of Clueless for the film's vibe and tone. Okay, I see that. Babbitt, whose mother runs a halfway house called New Directions for young people with drug and alcohol problems, had wanted to make a comedy about rehabilitation and the 12-step program. After reading an article about a man who had returned from a reparative therapy camp hating himself, she decided to combine the two ideas. With girlfriend Sperling, she came up with the idea for a feature film about a cheerleader who attends reparative therapy. She used the story to explore the social construction of gender roles and heteronormativity. I love it. That is a big thing with this movie. Like the the doghouse thing is very like exaggerated heteronormative thing. It's like, oh, wife's mad at me. Gotta go to the doghouse. Yeah, the old ball and chain, you know was like man you know kind of thing yeah i totally understand there was so much of that there is so much to analyze in this movie oh yeah i think this next part might be pretty clear but babbitt says that her influences for the look and feel of the film included john waters mm, yeah i got that bit yeah but she also said her influences were david la chapelle edward scissorhands and barbie oh yeah, yeah. and i think you, you could definitely feel the like the pink <laughs> well the pink and the um what's it called artificialness of it the color scheme definitely helped with that i think which is like almost like every room was a different color and it was just that color yes and this next part reflects on that a little bit she wanted the production design and costume design to reflect the themes of the story costume and set design of the film highlighted these themes by using artificial textures in intense blues and pinks yeah i saw i picked up on that But with the rating of this movie, it was initially rated by the MPAA as NC-17. So Babbitt made cuts to allow it to be re-rated as R. In order to get a commercially viable R rating, Babbitt removed a two-second shot of Graham's hand sweeping Megan's clothed body, a camera pan of Megan's body while she is masturbating, and a comment that Megan, quote, ate Graham out. (laughs) Babbitt criticized the MPAA for discriminating against films with homosexual content. Babbitt also feels the original rating choice was sexist as well. MPAA is incredibly sexist. 
Mm-hmm. Boys Who Cry. No, it's not Boys Who Cry. That's a that's a made up band. Boys Don't Cry. Boys Don't Cry. The NC-17 rating for that, because there's well, it's also the director's cut, but they had to cut it down to make it R. Yeah. I forgot exactly how it went, but I remember watching a documentary all about the MPAA and how... And uh, Jamie Babbitt's in that documentary. I know you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How homophobic and sexist they are. They will rate a movie. I think they did this with Boys Don't Cry. They rated it NC-17 because it showed a woman having an orgasm. Just facially, just her face as she was having an orgasm. 15-20 seconds. It was rated NC-17 because of that. Not because of (laughs) all the other sex scenes. Not even nude. Orgasming. It's just her face. And I mean like they will show like female frontal nudity but they won't let a woman orgasming be shown on in a movie. You know? That kind of thing where it's like... That's the line we won't cross? Is it because y'all are a little insecure about your efficacy in the bedroom, sirs? It is incredibly sexist. And like you said, exactly, maybe there's some insecurity going on because maybe that can't be real. I've never seen a real woman do that in the bedroom. Well, it's because you're probably- We can't lie in movies. (laughs) You can't. It's like- that it is, they are incredibly, they have been historically homophobic and sexist. Mm-hmm. It, it goes even further with the fact that it's like two women being gay. Yeah, no that kidding. it's like double even, whammy. <laughs> yeah, that it's even worse or whatever. <laughs> yeah, or what they can God deem. forbid these yeah. women don't want men. <laughs> yeah, God forbid women are existing happily without the without pleasure. Without thinking about you. Without, without a man in sight and they're finding yeah. pleasure without a man in sight, you know? God forbid. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But the next thing I have is that they wanted the main character to be a cheerleader because it is, quote, the pinnacle of the American dream and the American dream of femininity, end quote. Babbitt wanted the film to represent the lesbian experience from the femme perspective because at the time there were a lot more films that were representing lesbianism from like the butch perspective and the movies that were used as examples there were Go Fish and The Watermelon Woman. She also wanted to satirize both the religious right and the gay community. So she she wanted to satirize both sides of it. Mm. And this one, I think I think you will love this next fact. Okay. Uh, so the music video for the song <gasps> Silk Chiffon yes! by the musical group Muna with <sighs> Phoebe Bridgers yes! pays homage to But I'm a Cheerleader and features much of the film's iconography. Guitarist Naomi McPherson said they wanted, quote, a song for kids to have their first gay kiss to, end quote. Aww. There is also, uh, this was just another musical adaptation thing, but there's a musical stage adaptation of the film written by lyricist Bill Augustine and composer Andrew Abrams. That the first half is like the gayest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I know, exactly. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes, no kidding. So, so, yeah, this is amazing. Have you seen that that music video? I think we pulled it up last night uh, and watched it. Did you like notice stuff and you were like, oh. <laughs> to be honest, I probably have to go rewatch it. But we, yeah. we talked about it last night because uh, Austin was telling me about it. No, sorry. She got a pen. She can't write. She can't write. I don't know why you need that. You don't have thumbs, dummy. <laughs> Go get your bone. But did so? Did Austin know about that yes, already? Yes, Austin knew okay. about it already. He like he knew who played who. Like that boy's a Muna fan. <laughs> Had he seen the movie before? No, this was his first time watching it. Okay, this isn't really first street Ben. So it's I... really not. <laughs> it was a good sport. Like he really good. liked it. <laughs> good. <laughs> like we said, well, we were sitting there like, cackling. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hold on, I got so many, so much stuff I want to yes. say. So get through let's, it. Let's hold it. Yeah, yeah. 
So the next thing I have is the day before shooting, Natasha Leone had gotten drunk and was tattooed on her back shoulder at a shop on Hollywood Boulevard. God. The director was very upset because Natasha had to film scenes in a sports bra doing cheer routines. The director said to her, how could you do this? And Natasha responded, I don't know what happened. <laughs> oh my God. Jeez. The next thing I have is that despite mixed reviews and limited distribution, but I'm a cheerleader has endured among the LGBTQI plus community due to its fervent rejection of heteronormativity and its celebration of queerness at each stage of production in the storyline, the aesthetic, the cast, and the crew. Yeah. So like I said, uh, as a part of that community, this is required reading for our community. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. But the last thing that I have is that Natasha Leone appeared on RuPaul's podcast and spoke of her experience in getting cast for the film. Clea Duvall and Natasha were friends before the production began. The two were driving together and Natasha, who was 18 at the time, noticed the script in the car and asked if she could be in the movie. Clea landed the role of Graham. They hadn't yet cast the role of Megan. The director, Jamie, was persuaded to cast Natasha, who at the time was a self-proclaimed stoner and showed up to the audition dressed in all black. Oh my god. I love that. I love it. I love her. I love her a lot. She's one of my favorite celebrities, honestly. She's so good. She is. She's great. But it, it it always makes me happy to hear like when the actors were just like super drawn to a film or they were just really excited to be in a film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like they just really loved the project itself. Yeah, that was the last trivia fact I had. And I know you're, you're antsy to <laughs> tell me your, your thoughts and opinions. So let's go ahead and get into that. Actually, first question. Had you heard of this movie before I had ever mentioned it to you? Nope. Okay. Didn't even know it existed. What did you think of it? So first, first things first, I nearly gagged when I saw RuPaul with a goatee. Mm-hmm. It just, it's so wrong to me. It is. It's so wrong. But he was fantastic in it, so it was great. Yeah, he did such a good job he did this a, movie. He did a great job. Yeah. Him running up in the straight is great shirt. Yes. <laughs> it's just so, it's so comical. I literally, so when they go to the house and we meet Mary G. J. Brown and her son Rock, I literally thought it was Jacob from Twilight. <gasps> I literally, and I kept pointing it out in the movie. I was like, he's so Jacob coded. He's so Jacob coded. Yes. That, that's the only thing I have to say about Rock. I don't think that thought crossed my mind, but I'll, I'll keep that it, in mind. It, it was the watch it. first thing I saw when he popped up on screen. I was like, what's Jacob doing in this movie? There's a werewolf in this movie. Because so, it's the jean shorts. He's overly mm-hmm. muscular. They even yeah. have the same haircut after he cuts his hair. Like, he was very Jacob coded to me. Uh-huh. This movie's Twilight coded. <laughs> okay, but Twilight is queer coded in some way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, there was a point where RuPaul's character threatens the um, the boys with like, if you guys don't like man up or whatever, he's like, they're gonna be forced to watch sports over the weekend or the whole weekend. And I was like, that's like an actually good punishment. Like, if I was like, if my parents said that to me growing up, like, I'm gonna make you sit down and watch sports all weekend, that would have worked, honestly. I don't want to do that. It just makes me think of every Super Bowl party, you know, like the time between the commercials. I'm just like, this fucking sucks. It's way too long. It's so long. (laughs) What even is football? You know, like, (laughs) I don't understand. They're just playing capture the flag. Half of it's commercials and just the fields. Like, they're hardly mm-hmm. ever playing. At least the Super Bowl has um, a musical performance and commercials <laughs> that are entertaining. True. Like, regular sports? No. Yeah. To be fair, I like most sports, just I don't like football. So I wouldn't hate it, but I wouldn't want to do it. I can sit for like 30 minutes and watch a sport, but after that, I'm done. <laughs> 
enough time for someone to explain the rules for you and for you to go i i still don't get it. i this is too much for me goodbye <laughs> The soundtrack smacks. This was a great, mm -hmm. like, 90s, 90s lesbian soundtrack. Amazing. Just, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Throw some cram... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Throw the cranberries in there and be fantastic. Yeah. Love the color palette. Mm-hmm. It was very camp. It just is. It's just, um... Oh, yeah. Epitome of camp. Uh, my last note was talking about the music video. Well, there you go. It's just, like, a cool thing. It's of pop culture to still be, like paying homage to this movie oh yeah like it's so incredibly relevant still to this day this is definitely a movie that like if i had watched this as like a teenager i definitely would have figured out i was like by a lot faster <laughs> this definitely would have uh, altered me as a person for sure if i watched it as a teenager but i didn't watch it till i was like 23 so the first time i watched it it felt i felt like i was a teenager again it's like that kind of movie it, get, it has that vibe it does yeah. it has that but like he said it was like it had that uh clueless vibe you know mm -hmm. it, it's gonna change you as a person a little yeah and it's just good i could throw that on as like a comfort movie oh yeah that's just a good mood to throw on and like it gets a little like it gets a little sad sometimes it really does in this movie like it gets depressing a little bit i mean they're talking about something that's so such like a dark and traumatic thing too you know mm -hmm. like because these exist yeah, like conversion therapy is a real thing and that people still have to deal with today. I tried not to include this as as much, but I had to include it a little bit because I didn't want to include a bunch of homophobic people. But like there there are some people who think that the who feel that this movie um, shouldn't be joking about that kind of thing and that it's like a real issue for real people kind of thing. But I my view of it is like humor is one of the only ways to like get through really traumatic things. things like that mm -hmm. yeah i've dealt with traumatic things i laugh through them because I, I have to get up and keep living my life you know but it, it's i understand how that could be like some people feel it's too dark to joke about kind mm -hmm. of thing but i think that's what's very important about this movie is that it, it's still informing you of like the real the reality of it yeah we don't have to harp on the the reality factor of this movie too much but yeah it, it's definitely a movie that you watch it and like you know it might not like fundamentally change you as a person if you're already in the an accepting place in your life <laughs> yeah you know, like, but you're not uh <laughs> it just it has it'll have some sort of impact on you as a person i think so too it's just one of those movies yeah i totally agree and like you said not to harp on it but i i think this movie talked about this this thing that is very real i thought i thought it talked about it well because it's not it, it it's not making fun of the kids in there we're laughing with the kids in there we're laughing with them at the absurdity at the absurdity that they're going through because it is it's absurd and disgusting yeah the fact that babbitt chose to kind of poke fun at and like satirize both sides of it too is like you're you're not just seeing like the extremes on one side of it you're seeing the extremes of both sides of it which we talked about this earlier because i was mentioning like of course you would have enjoyed this movie you love the birdcage like it has that similar like we're exaggerating both sides of it yeah oh yeah definitely dolph at the end being at lloyd and larry's house wearing <laughs> a full rainbow outfit <laughs> it's, ridi it's ridiculous it's silly yeah. you know because like looks <laughs> It looks like the Target Pride section, you know? Like <laughs> They just went to Target and got everything. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, it, it, something as serious as conversion therapy needs something like that 
you know, it, it needs the absurdity to, you know, not bring the whole thing down without acknowledging the reality, which is what a good satire does. Absolutely. I don't have a lot of specific notes about it. It's just, it's a very, like, clever, funny, like, fun time kind of movie. And uh, it's very important to the queer community. I can see why. Yeah, of course. Honestly, the first time I watched it, because I am a longtime Drag Race fan, and, you know, RuPaul's not the best person on the planet. There's been a lot of things there, but I was surprised at how good, like, RuPaul does in this movie. He does really good. And truthfully, RuPaul's done a lot for the queer community. Yeah. Especially with like toxic masculinity in the queer community itself too. And it was Which just Which is whole character like, satirizing in that movie. Exactly. So yeah, I, I totally see that. Yeah. But I don't have anything else specific. But do you have anything else you want to say before I move on to the critics? Not right now. Okay. So like I said, this movie was not well received critically. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 42% from critics and a 74% from audience. The people know what's good. Yeah. And I think... It, at the time it came out, I'm sure that would have been a lower number, but I think, you know, the audience members are mostly the ones that are coming back and revising the view of this movie. Yeah. And then on IMDb, it has a 6.7 out of 10, which isn't too bad. Mm -hmm. And I tried to leave reviews out with this point in them because it is just repetitive, but um, most of the critics who had issues with the movie itself still gave really high praise to the actors in this movie. So that was something that came up a lot. Like even if somebody absolutely hated everything about the movie, they still liked the jobs that the actors did. That's good because everyone did, everyone did fantastic. Oh yeah. This first one is from Richard Probst, the independent critic. He starts with, quote, but I'm a cheerleader is a politically incorrect, but frequently funny film, end quote. I think that's what he said about the birdcage as well. Like, yes. But he also says, quote, Leon, who has a strong presence and the ability to simultaneously play comedy and drama, is a revelation here. As the bewildered and befuddled cheerleader, she's surrounded by an interesting and eccentric lot of characters, including her parents, friends, classmates, camp counselors, and other campers, end quote. I think this was her, one of her first feature film roles, too. So it's like, she's just naturally gifted. She's a baby in this. Like, she's so young. <laughs> like, I haven't seen her this young in a, um, in any kind of media before. Oh, yeah. Richard also says, quote, there is no groundbreaking comedy, yet the film is consistently funny. Writer-director Jamie Babbitt takes a satirical approach to the film that works quite often, though never to a hyster hysterical degree. Novelty casting works well, including RuPaul as one of the camp counselors and camp director Kathy Moriarty heads full force into her character. As a friend, Clea Duval is a sweet yet comical revelation, end quote. I agree with everything in this, and it's a very good point. Like, there's nothing, like, outlandishly hilarious, but it's all consistently funny. Yeah, it's nothing new, necessarily. It's nothing new, or, like, there's not, like, this huge, giant, you know, quote, or... I mean, it's mm -hmm. very... It, you could quote this movie, definitely. You'll chuckle, you'll giggle, like, it's just... Yeah. It's almost sometimes better when a movie's like that. It's subtly woven into everything. Yeah, and it's just, like, it's sometimes even more enjoyable than when you have a comedy where it's got, like, two big jokes... And the rest is like meh or like it has a great start, but it lulls just because it like it just runs out of material or something. Or the best jokes were in the trailer. Yeah, the, yeah exactly. the best jokes were in the trailer and that's just scattered throughout whatever movie and the rest is blah, brat or bad. Yeah. This movie is consistently funny and it has a good tone when it 
it doesn't need to be funny or it shouldn't be funny. Yeah, it balances really well. It's balanced very well, but like when it needs to be funny, it is funny. Yeah. The next thing that he says is, quote, the film never really takes sides, pokes fun at both sides, and ultimately allows the characters to be who they are. At a mere 81 minutes, the film moves quickly and resolves smoothly, end quote. It is a quick movie. It's like a hour 25. It's not even a full 90 minutes. Yeah. And again, another balance thing is like the, the tone helps it run pretty smoothly. Definitely. But the last thing that Richard says is, quote, But I'm a cheerleader is a solid video rental. It will make you laugh, but despite its somewhat pointed topic, it will never really challenge you to think. Everything here has been said and done before, but it is still funny to see it come to life again, and Natasha Lyonne is simply marvelous in the lead role, end quote. Oh, that's sweet. I don't think he's wrong. I don't know. I enjoyed the movie, and I enjoyed what it did have to say. Like, you know, I... Uh I see his point. Like, it's not like no one has said it. I just don't think a movie has said it is the bigger thing at this point. Well, I couldn't really compare it to anything else, really. I mean, yeah. honestly, like, other than, like, style-wise or, like, vibe-wise, but, like, what it's about, I couldn't tell you a movie that said it, said it better, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And I think, yeah, that's 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 exactly right, though. Like, it's it's something that, like, isn't said this, this way in movies often, especially in 1999. And I think it's one of those things that it, it managed to break out of the uh, queer community a little more. Yeah. There probably were other queer movies that were talking about similar things, but didn't break out of that community, you know? Yeah, he, he seems like he he liked it i don't think he was as smitten as we were <laughs> with it but um yeah i i think he enjoyed it but to him it was like preaching to the choir kind of thing where it's like he already understands everything it's saying i yeah, guess which is fair yeah and it, that is a point that kind of gets brought up is like it, it's kind of like vice i don't know if you remember but like it's like your target audience already knows this mm. and people outside yeah, oh it, yeah because yeah. it's not really for us kind of thing yeah yeah okay the people who are going to watch this movie are not the people that need to be told these things necessarily or need to be challenged by the ideas that are in this movie yeah yeah T to be fair though like another similar thing with like vice is some people m might not realize just how ingrained things are they might not have fully come to that realization they might already be okay with everything else but not realize like gender stereotypes you know like some people might not realize how deeply ingrained in everything that you know that kind of thing and heteronormative it is and like yeah. and how toxic it, it can appear like that part in the movie where she goes like this is a woman view her as a mother so you're not tempted or you don't objectify her but you have to view her as a mother in order not to objectify her you can't look at her as a human being yeah she has to serve some other role she has to she has to serve you know she yeah. has to it's so yeah I won't get too into this, but like when it comes to like, that's what men get told so they don't sexually assault women. Yeah. It's like, what if that was your mother? What if that was your sister? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Not that that's another human being that should have bodily autonomy, you know, like that. I don't know if that was intentionally a play on that kind of thing, but I, I think you can link a lot of things to this, whether it was intentional or not. The whole subject itself, you could deep dive into it. It's, it's this is one of those movies, like I said earlier, like you can deeply analyze this movie if you really wanted to. If you really wanted to talk about everything it was talking about, all these ideas pop up. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Another reason that I think this movie is so like relevant still is we live in America. The LGBT community is constantly being targeted by the government and it's currently it's currently like that. Especially the last few years, they've been they've been taking the drag bans in the last few months. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The anti-trans bills that have been like 
written in multiple states. Drag queens being targeted and being called yeah, the drag bands. horrible, horrible things. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's stayed relevant because these things are still happening. Even if you're not like a part of the queer community, I think if you've grown up like female presenting in any way, mm-hmm. you're gonna feel a lot of the things that this movie brings up, even just down to like gender stereotypes and heteronormativity. Yep. And like toxic femininity and like Yep. It's got yeah. It serves a lot more people than just necessarily the queer community, but well, I would say this is a feminist movie and when you're talking about feminism, you are talking about everything. Everybody. Yeah. Feminism reaches literally every subject you can think of. Oh yeah. But I'll move on to the next one so I can stop going on this little tangent because <laughs> we'll have plenty of other things to talk about as well with this movie. Yeah, yeah. This next review I have is from Cron by Lewis B. Parks from July of 2000. So starting with, quote, But I'm a Cheerleader plays like an extended comedy sketch from Saturday Night Live. Any five-minute block generates mild satirical humor. Any 10 minutes wears thin, end quote. It's the exact opposite thing. I literally told you. You literally said that. Yeah, you thought it was going to be like an SNL skit. I really thought this movie was going to be that, but it wasn't that. Yeah. The next thing this person says is, quote, its satirical tone and humor are broad enough to spark recognition in anyone who has ever felt like a social outsider or social cynic, end quote. Which I think is true. Like, it speaks to anybody who's been ostracized by society in any way for, you know, existing. Yeah. They also say, quote, the whole movie has a cheery, bright color tone that adds to the satirical surrealism and helps disguise the film's cheap sets, end quote. That was backhanded. Mm -hmm. It's supposed to look cheap and artificial. Yeah. It's also an indie movie. Fuck off. (laughs) Yeah, they're doing their best. (laughs) And to me, it adds to it. I think it adds to the campiness as well. I don't think it's nice. What they're saying is a backhanded compliment. Like, I I agree it's cheery and bright colored in tone that adds to the satirical surrealism. I don't think they need to add it helps disguise the film's cheap set. I don't think that was necessary. <laughs> I, I feel like this, like, because this is from 2000. I feel like this is like a critic that, and I could be, th- you know me, I think too deeply <laughs> But it feels like a person who didn't want to outright admit that they enjoyed parts of it. Mm-hmm. So they have to have these little snarky little things. Yeah, to undercut the, the compliments. The last thing that this person says is, quote, the satirical concept and individual ideas are good and the cast alone is worth some giggles. So it's a shame the filmmakers cannot take the movie to more depth. Instead, it skims lightly over the surface from beginning to end, getting increasingly diminishing returns from its entry-level satire. But I'm a Cheerleader has a lot of jokes and gets some amused smiles, but there's no true bite, end quote. I think this person just didn't understand what they were satirizing fully. Yeah. So somebody who's not familiar with the issues brought up fully or hasn't experienced them might not pick up on all of the satire, but I think this movie goes incredibly deep. Yeah, I think so too. That's what I thought when I saw it. Again, this one just kind of felt like they didn't want to fully admit they liked it. Just say you liked it. I mean, I get it was 2000 times were a little different, but yeah, maybe it was like, oh, I don't want to say this movie's too good because the gays will know I liked it. The gays will know. <laughs> the gays will know I liked it. <laughs> Friendofdorothyreviews.com. <laughs> Is there anything else you wanted to talk about with this person? I know it was short. A lot of the reviews are pretty short. No, I just love that they brought up like, it was like a Saturday Night Live bit. I literally told you before we started recording, I thought it was going to be a Saturday Night Live bit. It's not. It's so much more than that, you know? Listen, Saturday Night Live is funny it's great from time to time but it wishes it was as consistently funny as this movie yes 
but I'll move on to the next one. It was from CNN, like the entertainment blog section of their website. Yeah. I don't know. Which is weird. I had to go on archive.org to read it. So um. it's so funny that they have that because CNN to me is like real news, news kind of thing. I've, <laughs> I've read some of those terrifying articles I've ever read from them. So knowing they have an entertainment section is so hilarious to me. Yeah. But anyway, yes. This, so this is from CNN from 2000. It was written by Paul Tatara. He starts with, quote, but I'm a cheerleader is a smug little comedy that tries to mock other people's self-righteousness while ignoring its own. First-time director Jamie Babbitt and screenwriter Brian Wayne Peterson have overlooked the single most important rule of satire. Know your enemy up, down, and backward before you start lobbing grenades. And make sure the audience knows them, too. If all you present is the thinnest veneer of a foil for your ideas, you eventually end up making fun of your own tunnel vision. This movie is the equivalent of watching someone shoot two liter bottles off a fence post with a deer rifle. After a couple minutes, you pray that at least one of the targets will try to dodge a shot just to make it interesting, but they never do, end quote. I don't understand that. I don't understand how they could say that. Yeah, so they found it very smug and that they didn't do enough work to satirize correctly, which sounds more pretentious than they think this movie is but yeah i mean i don't know how more straightforward this movie could have been about who they were satirizing yeah let's let, let's keep going and see if they clear it up for us uh, <laughs> they won't <laughs> So they say, quote, you get the distinct feeling that Babbitt is very, very concerned with the hip factor in But I'm a Cheerleader. It practically congratulates itself for existing, regardless of how obvious it is. The family's suburban home is textbook tacky because suburbia is always tacky when low-budget directors want to mock their or our origins. It's a milieu Ooh. that's worth mocking, by the way. Someone took that personally. <laughs> My mommy's house does not look like that. <laughs> we have more than one just brown beige color. <laughs> but they, I mean, they, they mentioned that they do feel that suburbia is worth mocking. Uh, but I'll without getting offended <laughs> first. <laughs> but, hold on, let me, let me finish this paragraph. Um, <laughs> They continue with, quote, but Babbitt stacks the deck in her favor or fixes the game, if you want to get technical, by turning Megan's life into a Barbie doll existence. Clunky sets are all painted up in bright colors to look like a playhouse. The incredibly annoying music features sing-song xylophone stylings, and anyone who isn't Megan or the girl who eventually falls for her might as well be wearing a drool bib. This would all be extremely clever if it weren't so pathetically one-dimensional and if you didn't sense that the filmmakers are very pleased with themselves for having done it. And quote so this was my idea when i was watching the movie so all these teens are collected they're sent to this camp to be quote-unquote treated they're infantizing these teens they're what? literally what was that word infantizing Inf infant infantizing indoctrinating no <laughs> are you trying to you're mixing infiltrating with indoctrinating i think mm, those are neither the words i'm trying to say <laughs> Well, that's Inf not, I'll tell you this, infantizing is not a word. Infantizing. Infantizing. Infantilizing. Mm. It's infant, no, 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 no. It is infantilizing. Don't, like they make it them is fucking infantilizing. <laughs> what, they treat them like babies? They treat yes. them like they're, yes. yeah, infantilizing. <laughs> I... <laughs> Sorry. You felt that the, they're infantilizing these teenagers? Yes, absolutely. So I understand yeah, like why they- like it's like pre-K. Like, this is a mommy. This is a dad. Like, yeah. Yes, quite literally. Like, quite literally, they, they're taking these teens who already have a concept of their sexuality, telling them they're wrong, and then trying to make them reset. So they, it's like a, the, the girl's room is all pink. It looks like a little, like, like, like a little girl's room, you know, stuff like yeah. that. Like, literally, I get what they're saying when they, when they say everyone looks like this. Like, I understand that. I don't think it's one dimensional, though. I think it's a statement about how these adults are treating these teens who are 
becoming their own people, coming into their own sexuality, and then saying they're wrong and stripping them from it. So they're in, what is that word? Infantilizing. Infantilizing them. That was my idea when I was watching this movie. Yeah, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. Like, yes, those are things that are happening in this movie, but that they're not bad. I thought they had a deeper meaning. Yeah. I, I feel like the person who wrote that, like they couldn't see deeper into what it was saying. Like they saw very surface level things. And they're saying it's one dimensional, but I'm like, what were you looking for more? That's the satire. The idea of gender constructs and stereotypes is one dimensional. So therefore they're going through this one dimensional process. They just didn't get it. They just didn't get they it. They just didn't get it. That's the whole thing. I we saw we both saw the same things. They just yeah. Yeah. Next they say, quote, there's a lot of glowering into the camera at the retreat, and dialogue is delivered in that TV commercial manner that makes everyone sound like they were handed the script three minutes before shooting commenced. None of the kids at the house, of course, really want to quote quit being gay, but they give it a go to make their dunderhead parents happy. End quote. The people who run the camp, the way they talk is gonna be a little artificial but i didn't feel that anybody else sounded artificial in a bad way like it all felt intentional yeah it felt intentional how they were speaking i like i get what they're talking about but i didn't think it was bad next they say quote there's certainly a movie to be made out of real life camps that try to reprogram kids into being what their parents want them to be namely anything but homosexual but by giving it this cotton candy treatment babbitt and peterson have diffused the anguish at the heart of the story there's nothing funny about but i'm a cheerleader aside from the fact that the people who made it thought it was funny it's easily one of the worst least complex movies of the year end quote what i'm getting from this paragraph personally is that they wanted it to focus on the pain of conversion therapy not the absurdity of it yet they still wanted it to satirize it it's another one of those where it's like how do you watch movies yeah (laughs) they wanted an oscar drama you know it was 1999 dog they weren't they (laughs) RuPaul did it. I don't know what you want. (laughs) They weren't going to get the movie you wanted. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think they got it. Ends this review with quote, But I'm a cheerleader is full of stuff that will appall same-sex kissing phobes. There's bad language in sexual situations, but it's nothing too graphic. Babbitt is preaching to the converted here. If you recognize that people should be allowed to live their lives in any way that they choose, there's no reason to watch it, end quote. And that, that's what I was talking about, how they're like preaching to the choir, like the people who were going to watch this movie already know all this stuff kind of thing. Yeah. Did they really, but like, hold on, let me reread this one second. You're talking about the same-sex kissing phobes? Did he literally just give like like a warning to homophobes like be careful this movie does have gay people (laughs) like is that literally what they were saying no i think it's it's letting the i think it's letting people who are okay with gay people know just so you know it pisses it pisses the homophobes off and if that made that that's enough to make me want to watch it yeah i think that's a plus (laughs) i don't think they're saying it in a bad way okay yeah that was a that was a weird one yeah i was trying my, my darndest not to pick one that was like so scary homophobic oh, like yeah. there were there were ones that were like they're being so mean to straight people <laughs> like no and i don't think this one was like necessarily offensive they just didn't get it yeah so the last one that i have is from 2018 so this is the most recent one that i could find from refinery 29 and was written by ann cohen and it's from a series that was called writing critics wrongs where female movie critics gave fresh consideration of quote the movies we love hate or love to hate end quote so essentially they just revisit movies that critics might have shit on for no reason oh i love that so this was written by ann cohen and ann says quote directed by jamie babbitt and 
and written by Brian Wayne Peterson, the biting satire so prescient today in Trump and Mike Pence's America pushes society's traditionally binary view of gender responsibilities to their absolute extreme, and in doing so demonstrates just how absurd they can be. The result is a gloriously campy film that skewers heteronormative expectations with performances that balance humor and heart, end quote. Hell yeah. But next, they say, quote, However, when But I'm a Cheerleader premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival in September of 1999, it was critically panned, derided for everything from its subject matter to its too colorful set design, end quote. That's such a stupid cr critique. It really is. Next, they say, quote, in spite of those scathing, now tone-deaf reviews, mm. But I'm a Cheerleader was ahead of its time and has since become required viewing in the canon of LGBTQ plus movies. Yeah. Like I said, required. It's required. It's this homework. <laughs> yeah. There's a quiz about it. <laughs> but I I'm glad that they mentioned how those reviews are extremely tone-deaf. Yeah, I appreciate that. Like the, yeah. I feel like the last one we just read was like, I mean, I just feel like they just, you were there, you just just went right over your head the way that they were writing it too like they called this they called this movie smug they were so smug smug about it it's like you can't be smug you can't call a movie smug and be smug about it yeah and it was so so like i think i know more about this than you do so genius genius i think i know more about the gays than you do genius that's what it sounded like yes yeah the but we'll move on with Anne because we're we're talking about Anne right now. Yes, okay? yes, we're talking about Anne. Anne's writing a very good article so far. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Next, Anne says, quote, That's not all that surprising given the political context from which the film emerged. The 1990s marked a time of increased visibility for the LGBTQ community within the public sphere. But the flip side of that progress was an equally public strain of virulent homophobia, the impact of which we still feel today. End quote. Next, they say, quote, with its candy-colored palette and ambiguous to surreal setting, but I'm a cheerleader's aesthetics feel like a mesmerizing hybrid of John Waters, Tim Burton, and Wes Anderson. But where Anderson's style sometimes feels like a frosted window dressing, Babbitt uses the trappings of wholesome suburbia to underscore the nightmare they conceal, end quote. And that's where, like, Edward Scissorhands kind of comes in, too. Like, you know, that kind of thing? Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's inspired by so many things. I think it's almost kind of fun just to, like, throw something out there and be like, yeah, I kind of see it. Yeah. But next, she says, quote, Leon gives a nuanced performance, committing to Megan's sweet and clueless nature without veering into the ridiculous. She and Clea Duvall, who were friends before being cast in the film, have wonderful chemistry as they cling to each other in this place committed to making them hate themselves. Their love scene is the one time that Babbitt holds off on parody, giving the moment the respect and weight that it deserves, end quote. I agree. And that's the thing about this movie is like a silly and satirical and can be that this movie can be at times it also has very grounded scenes yeah when they're in the back in the club and they're talking to each other and they end up you know kissing the first time and yes the the love scene the there's nothing it's it's not goofy anyway and i would have thought it's the female gaze it's the female gaze there you go but next she says quote what makes But I'm a Cheerleader so emotionally affecting is that despite the cotton candy exterior, the film never lets its audience forget that these people are undergoing a traumatic experience, end quote. Yes, and that's the groundedness that I was commenting before I watched it. I was like, oh, it's gonna be like an SNL movie. It's just gonna be goofy and over the top and ludicrous, but it's not. It's, you are reminded that this is kind of a depressing thing that they're at. They're going through something awful. Yeah. They're going through something horrible. You get reminded of that pretty often throughout the movie. Like, yes, there's mm -hmm. funny moments and there's happy moments, but they are at a very terrible place. <laughs> 
Yeah. The last quote I have is, quote, Leon recalled that when the film screened at Sundance, she and Duvall were approached by young girls who told them the film had inspired them to come out. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So Leon told HuffPost in 2014, quote, I feel very privileged for being a part of something like that. I mean, it's great to make a movie and have people like you and want to sleep with you and think you're cool, but rarely have I ever been part of something that helped people figure out who they are, end quote. And that's... I'm going to cry. I know. It's like, <laughs> it's one of those things where like, that's why you do it. Yeah. This is why you do a movie like something like that. If it helps one kid out there feel seen and heard yeah if this movie helps with that journey i mean what more do you want what more do you want out of doing something like that out of, of making a movie like this that's that's it yeah those were the those were the reviews that i had was there anything else with this specific one that you wanted to talk about anything she mentioned or anything like that i just really liked this article and that last bit was so sweet i think i talked about everything i wanted about this article i just really liked this article i think, I think this was the perfect one to end on oh yeah something with just the series as a whole i'm glad this series exists the writing critics wrongs because we've done many movies that came out like 20 plus years ago and we're reading reviews from when they came out and we're like what the fuck it was going on <laughs> yeah <laughs> if you're ready i can move on to the audience reviews Yep. So the first one is a 10 out of 10 from IMDb titled Not Your Usual Love Story from 2008. It's gay. <laughs> You're damn right. <laughs> if that was just the whole thing. It's not your usual story. <laughs> so this, yeah, this is from February of 2008. And they say, but I'm a cheerleader was a great look at what Hollywood rarely looks at. Gays. <laughs> it was... <laughs> They're not wrong. It's just the, the way they wrote it is so funny. This is this is giving Kendall Roy energy. <laughs> in a good way, in a good way. <laughs> it was a beautiful and funny movie with a great cast. Jamie Babbitt directed her young cast brilliantly, and the cast should be commended on the believability of their characters. Each actor and actress really becomes the role. Admittedly, it is not without its drawbacks. Some of the scenes went fast, and we were not able to soak in the jokes. In some scenes, the actors who played the gay men did overact their roles a bit, but I suppose they had to. Really needs two viewings to appreciate it more. Also, anyone who does not get moved by that cheer must be made of stone. A great movie for anyone in the closet or anyone just looking for a good feel-good movie. And I can respect, like, okay, you didn't, uh, you didn't, the pacing was a little too fast for you. You yeah. would like to slow down. Hey, that's, hey, that's a, okay, that's fine. Hey, you're not saying slurs. So yeah. okay, you know? <laughs> exactly. So that's fine. And like, the bar is low. <laughs> and that's, I'm sorry, that's more of a critique that I can respect than any of the negative ones we read from the critics. It's grounded in something, you know? Yeah, exactly. And like, hey, hey, maybe they're right. Maybe if it slowed down, those jokes would have like landed more or could have worked better. I, who knows? I don't know. I don't know what scenes they're specifically talking about, but who knows? Yeah. It, it, yeah, you're right. Like with the, the critics, it was like, these gays aren't critiquing their community right. <laughs> they're not critiquing their trauma correctly. <laughs> yeah. And I agree that this movie does take, like, I don't think it takes multiple view viewings to enjoy, but like, it gets more enjoyable the more you watch it. I could definitely rewatch this movie sometime soon. Like, this is, this is a, I feel like a good movie like a good comfort movie yeah the next review i have is a one out of ten from imdb from 2001 this person says probably an attempt at satire the film misses the mark it comes off as a poorly made homosexual propaganda it's as if the aclu wrote the script themselves <laughs> trying to make heterosexuals look bad the movie did have its humorous spots but is ruined by its feel good and be queer political message <laughs> you can't feel good and be queer <laughs> one or the other one or the other <laughs> Um, <laughs> RuPaul is convincing in his role, but most of the young cast might want to leave this one off of their resume. 
The soundtrack is average, but the love theme is excruciatingly painful as it occurs several times during the film. What seemed like a promising film quickly turned into another case of show business using the guise of entertainment to push liberal views <laughs> into the minds of Americans. <laughs> Definitely. I'm sorry, I think I skipped this and I thought they said heterosexual propaganda. <laughs> that is so fucking funny. Oh, this person's an idiot. I love... Okay, my favorite thing is them going... RuPaul is believable in this. That's the fucking, that's the fucking funniest thing. Someone who is obviously very homophobic, but being convinced by RuPaul that they're straight. That's fucking funny. That is the fucking funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. Well, this is gonna sound like dark, but I'm, go I'm going to say it. it, it it's they think that telling queer children that they are allowed to be themselves and that they don't have to feel like they want to die because they want to be themselves. It's a political <laughs> message. Agenda. Yeah, it's a political <laughs> message. What the fuck? <laughs> I just love it. I did. I, I skimmed. I'm so sorry. I skimmed. No, this one was funny. This <laughs> it was funny. It's like one of those things. Like yes, this person's an idiot. A fucking idiot. This is not a political podcast. I'm moving on. <laughs> feel good or be queer. Pick one. <laughs> one. Pick you get one. one. Don't be greedy. Don't be greedy. <laughs> Uh, five stars uh, letterboxed from 2019 that says finding out Natasha Leone is straight really was a top 10 anime betrayal. <laughs> I love that. You have four and a half stars from 2019 on letterboxed. I always forget how brutal the parents are, especially Graham's. The film tackles conversion therapy with humor, but it doesn't pretend it's fun, cute, or innocuous. It is a satire of how queer and straight people are seen by straight people, skewering stereotypes by leaning into them and dragging the straight patriarchal obsession with queer sex lives to an extreme and not entirely fictional conclusion. It mocks with a distorted view of reality, taking its bright colors and silly jokes not to sugarcoat the reality, but to emphasize the cruel, absurd absurdity of it and holy fuck is it funny <laughs> and it is and that's the perfect way to put it that was what i was trying to say earlier <laughs> this is a perfect we always get these from movies that are like not complex too complex to say but like we're trying to find the right words for them we couldn't articulate it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. we always find like a perfect like letterbox review that perfect explains the movie we're like this this is yeah this is everything we're trying to say they had it <laughs> they had it in, in a paragraph <laughs> yeah four and a half stars of 2020 finally a queer film with the aesthetic sensibilities of the cat in the hat movie <laughs> oh i love it this movie keeps coming back to haunt us this movie will not let us go it has a us in a fucking chokehold it all comes back to cat in the hat it all comes back to cat in the hat so fucking funny <laughs> so funny the the next review that i have is on letterboxd three stars 2021 if you can't tell we've been doing this a lot lately but i had to avoid imdb like the plague yeah there weren't a whole lot of one out of tens, to be fair, though. That's impressive. So this is from 2021. It's three stars on Letterboxd. So they say, full-on stinging satire that criticizes the insufferable concepts of homophobia, colorist gender signifiers, homosexuality as blasphemy, and primordial gender roles as the only valid social roles. It's a walking five-star flick if it didn't base its humor so much on stereotyping queer in general and building its ending only as an artless direct mirror to a conventional straight rom-com as if avoiding a story that what should have been an influential classic that puts an end on both repair therapy and primitive gender norms eternally it's still fun nonetheless so this person wanted it to be so good that people stopped doing conversion therapy oh so because it didn't solve the issue it was talking about it failed yeah we can have the same romantic moments as a straight couple it's part of the satire of this movie a commentary on the fact that queer people are treated like they are completely different species yeah 
especially for 1999, where there's not a lot of movies about queer people in general. So for them to have a happy ending in it, that's rare in itself too, because name a movie within... Yeah, it's the barrier gaze trope. Yeah. Brokeback Mountain was like the biggest, you know, queer movie to come out successful and critically acclaimed and all that, but it's such a tragic, tragic, sad... Yeah. So I think it's nice to have a a queer story that has a happy ending. Like, I don't think that's a crime. All you have as a teenager, you have a lot of straight coming-of-age movies mm-hmm. yes. that have a straight ending. They have a very happy straight ending, yeah. It, I, I just, I this is so such like a nitpicky critique of it. It's like, I am so evolved past the satire that they're making mm-hmm. that I think that this movie from fucking 1999 <laughs> should have achieved something that we're still trying to work on achieving in 2021. You go so far one way, you end up looping back around kind of way. Yeah, you know? not gay enough. This movie wasn't, this it, <laughs> movie wasn't gay enough. That's the thing. Like, it's like, <laughs> what would have made you happy? <laughs> yeah. Other than gay conversion camps ending because of it. I, I wish they would too. Don't get me wrong. But that's a lot to ask for from a... 90s indie movie <laughs> yeah four stars <laughs> 2016 it says where's rupaul's oscar for the line i myself was once gay honestly yes where is it it's too good <laughs> it is honestly a really good performance it is it honestly is three out of ten from IMDb. <laughs> from 2001 titled wasted opportunity talk about a missed opportunity but i'm a cheerleader is one of the biggest of the last few years the send-up is perfect a high school cheerleader is obviously a lesbian it's obvious to everyone around her family boyfriend fellow classmates but not to her she's clueless how can she be a lesbian she is as the title states a cheerleader and they're not lesbians family and friends conduct an intervention and send the hapless young lady to a co-ed gay deprogramming camp so far so good the stage is set for some hard punching satire unfortunately the director and screenwriters are not up to it instead they opt for police academy level potty humor tired offensive stereotypes terrible scripting lousy directing you name it and it stinks the film self-destructs after the first 20 minutes it becomes an insulting waste of time too bad. I don't know what they're saying in the first half. Like, she is a cheerleader, as the title states. She's a cheerleader. They're, they're making, they're they're talking about, like, what the interesting part of the premise is, is, like, the whole reason she's a cheerleader in the first place for the movie is because it's, like, this is the, like, archetypal, like, perfect American woman. Yeah. This is the best thing a teen girl can be is a cheerleader and like they're just your perfect straight Christian girl, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, she's Christian. She has a boy. Okay, now I get what they're saying. Okay. I was, they lost me for a second. I was just like, yeah, she's a cheerleader. What about it? (laughs) Yeah, they were just, they're pretty much just explaining the satire, but they were saying it in a matter of fact way. So I understand how that could. Yeah, they just kind of lost me. But yeah, I totally get what they're saying. Yeah, she has uh, your, what is it called? Nuclear family. Yeah. She got a boyfriend. Yeah. They just did not like the humor of the movie. It just wasn't for them kind of thing. They loved the concept. They just didn't like it, which I can appreciate at least. Yeah. This next one's a one star from Letterboxd from 2018. Admirable in its intentions, but I'm a cheerleader squanders it on a broad and witless script and awful stilted comedy direction. It's a damn shame because it's an early role for both Natasha Leone and Michelle Williams. And Jamie Babbitt would go on to be a mainstay TV director helming episodes of Girls, Silicon Valley, and It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Plus a rare example of a wide-released LGBT movie in a time when gay characters were mostly played for stereotypical comedic relief. It should at least register as an interesting curio for the time, but it's more just a waste of my time. Mm. 
I'm above comedy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what. That's just all I heard, really. Like, I, I couldn't even. I'm glad they enjoy the acting and all that, but like, I tuned out because it was just like. Boo, 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 boo. I appreciate them mentioning the importance of the movie. Uh huh. Yeah. The next one I have is I didn't know that you could put a review on IMDb without putting any stars on it. I don't know. Apparently I think you have to use a cheat code or something like that. I don't know how <laughs> they do that. <laughs> That scares the hell out of me. Cheat code. <laughs> up, up, down, down. <laughs> but anyway, so this is no stars on IMDb. It's titled Satiric Delight, and it's from 2000. And it says, the film is a biting and hilarious parody of people who not only force themselves into artificial molds, but also feel the need to make other people fit the same stereotypical molds. The main attack of the satire is on the delusion that homosexuals can be cured by people who are themselves repressed homosexuals. Deliciously silly Victorian roles of males and females are superimposed on the teenagers who struggle not to be who they really are. But the garishly colored costumes of the 1950s Father Knows Best and Leave It to Beaver style are as incongruous as the fake role-playing. In the end, at least some of the young victims of this cruelty escape to face a life of being themselves. That was weirdly positive for a IMDb review with no, no stars. From the year 2000, no less? Yeah, that's odd. Yeah, it's it's very positive. It's like, it's it was very unexpected. As in unexpected as seeing an IMDb review with no writing on it, you know? Like, we really can't get past it. Like, it's real. it is shocking. I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know you could do that. I think they, I think they had to put a cheat code in. I really actually do believe that. And not that they were just, you know, uh, what's the word? Coding? <laughs> yeah. It's cheat code. It's cheat code. Uh, this is the last one that I have. It's a 10 out of 10 from IMDb that is titled Great Social Commentary Piece. My gay best friend and I. You. Me and you. <laughs> uh, my gay best friend and I watched this movie together recently. I found it to be quite a funny and touching film. It played on all the typical gay stereotypes while also discrediting them. I found it to be highly enjoyable. There were some genuinely comic moments to be found here. Everyone, gay, straight, bi, or whatever can get a pleasant laugh out of this movie. Don't miss out on it just because of its controversial subject matter. A+. I think this is a cute last review. It's very sweet. And they watched it with their, with their gay best friend. I love it. I agree with everything they're saying. There are parts of this that everyone can find funny because we are all affected by gender stereotypes. Mm -hmm. All of us. Do you have anything else you wanted to say about this? these last reviews? No, I think we got into it pretty good. We did. And I was... a. a I didn't know what to expect with this because first, I, it's not like I thought that you wouldn't like this movie. I just didn't know if it would like, I, I didn't know what to expect. No, I get that. It was a, it's an out there one, but I, I really did love this movie. I really, really did. I'm glad you did. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you're a decent human being. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Best friends of 10 plus years were <laughs> at this point. If I didn't know by now, you know, yeah. like. <laughs> I'm solid. <laughs> yeah. She's not homophobic, guys. Yay. This is my test <laughs> <and> I passed. <laughs> Pick one. Pick one. You can feel good or be queer. You can't have both. You cannot have both. I'm sorry. It's so good. Um, but since, you know, the straight perspective is so important, what do you rate this movie? Sorry. Oh my god. I do want to know what you rate it though. It my my first thought is an eight out of ten. I just think this Hold is. A, I know, I know. I was like, it's gotta be ten out of ten. <laughs> no, I'm I'm kidding. Be <laughs> no, I think it's an eight out of ten. I really do like that. Maybe eight and a, eight and a half. Again, yeah. 
viewing for my citizens, Kane. So you're saying the gays aren't as good as Jurassic <laughs> Park? It's not a good science, man. It's just not. <laughs> That's the most homophobic thing you've ever said to me. <laughs> oh my god. Right. Tell your mother. Yeah, tell my mother. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I would probably say like a nine. One of those things where like I kind of wish that younger me saw it earlier kind of thing. Yeah. But I'm glad that it exists. So nine out of ten. I love that. But is there anything else you want to say? I think we have said quite a bit. We have said a lot. I do not have anything left to say other than this was a great movie. Go watch it. Yes, for sure. So if you have any movie recommendations for us and any feedback you have for us, you can reach us on our Instagram at Easy Bake Takes. We also have a TikTok at Easy Bake Takes. We have a website where we post our review overviews and transcripts of our episodes. That's easybaketakespodcast.com. And don't forget to share, follow, leave a rating wherever you listen because it helps us out a lot. And thank you so much for listening. My name is Kat. And I'm Riley. This has been Easy Bake Takes. Easy watching out there. Bye. Bye, Kay.